Hello and welcome very much to our 17th episode of Spurbs Herbs. We're getting up there in numbers. I'm really excited about that. I didn't think it was going to get that high, but we are doing well. And today's episode, we are going to be talking about herbs that cool and release the exterior. This is one of our podcasts. We're talking about a whole group of herbs, a whole uh, subgrouping of herbs, rather than an individual going into depth into an individual. And that gives us an opportunity to kind of talk about some of the, the you know, some, some Chinese medicine in the background. By the way, I've never mentioned this. So I should tell you, I say Chinese medicine because most of this medicine is, is even if it's Japanese style or Korean style or Vietnamese style, they've, they've derived from Chinese medicine. And the word oriental is sort of on the outs. And so I uh, tend not to use that word. And I mean Chinese medicine in a very magnanimous and open way, not just from China, but also encompassing all these other traditions as well. So anyways, enough of that. Let's get into Herbs That Cool and Release the Exterior. So uh, if you are an acupuncturist, this podcast, as well as others, are approved for California Acupuncture Board Continuing Education Units and National Certification Commission of Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine Professional Development Activities at a reasonable cost. Please check us out at integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's integrativemedicinecouncil, C-O-U-N-C-I-L.org. I have also written a couple of books, Integrative Pharmacology, Combining Modern Pharmacology with Integrative Medicine, as well as, uh, and that was with Bob Flaws, and I've also written Playing the Game, a step-by-step guide to accepting insurance as an acupuncturist, and I did that with Tiffany Hefner, and uh, those are both really nice books. I have a third book uh, that's ready to go. I just haven't um, figured out exactly where I'm, how and where I'm going to publish it yet, but it's coming soon. Both of these books are available at the shop on the menu on www.spurbsherbs.com. All right. So we're going to start, you know, as, as you know, we, with each of these podcasts, we start off with something a little different, something that's not really about the episode, but is tangentially involved with the episode. And we've done lots of interesting things over the 17 episodes. But today we're going to continue our conversation of external causes of disease. Way back in episode seven, so 10 episodes ago, of Spurbs Herbs about warm and release the exterior herbs. Today we're doing cool and release the exterior herbs. We discussed external causes of diseases and touched on the concept of wind, signs and symptoms, and two important theories in Chinese medicine about how wind can penetrate to the interior. And those two are the six stages and the four levels. Six stages focuses on how wind cold enters the body, while the four levels focuses, focuses on how wind heat enters the body. So six stages, wind cold, four levels, wind heat. As today's category of herbs are used to treat wind heat, I thought it would be useful to discuss and go more in depth about the four levels. We just touched about it, touched on it on, on, on seventh episode. So here we're gonna go a little bit deeper. But before we start, this might be a good time to go back and listen to that seventh episode and remind yourself of what wind is and how it can affect us. Okay, with that completed, let's start a discussion of the Wenbing theory and the four levels. 
So Wenbing Theory. So first of all, this is my first Chinese of this episode. I always do this. I've had several years of Chinese, but my pronunciation still is not very good. And I apologize ahead of time. I'm doing the best I can. So here we go. The story of Wenbing, or warm disease theory, starts with the Shang Han Lun. So the Shang Han Lun. The Shang Han Lun is one of, if not the earliest extant books on Chinese herbal formulas. It really is considered foundational, and, and um, if not the first, definitely the most important initial book on herbal formulas. Not necessarily herbs, but herbal formulas. It was written by Zhang Zhang Jing as one book in the 2nd century CE called the Shang Han Zabing Lun on cold damage and miscellaneous diseases. That's what Shang Han Lung actually uh, stands for, is on, on cold uh, damage, is basically what Shang Han Lung means. But originally it was a whole big book, uh, and then uh, they, it, it, and it was translated as on cold damage and miscellaneous diseases. In a one sentence summary, the Shang Han Lung describes how a cold pathogen enters the body and causes disease as it penetrates deeper into the body. The Wen Bing, or warm disease theory, developed much later in Chinese medical history than many other currently used approaches. It really is sort of one of the, the, la the last major theories in, in Chinese medicine that is still uh, practiced. Lots of dy dynamism and a lot of stuff happening in Chinese medicine, but this is one of the major threads and theories that, and, and the last in the development, really. It is a set of theories developed by several doctors, authors, rather than a single specific author or book. So that makes it very different than a lot of the other theories that are in Chinese medicine. Often they have a, a single progenitor, and then there are people who developed those, those uh, disciples and, and adherents and things along those lines over, over centuries would develop those theories and, and do that. In this case, with Wen Bing theory, it wasn't a single author. It was more like a group over time that kind of developed this, this whole sort of canon of the Wen Bing theory. It was first proposed by Wang Lu in the 14th century CE. So remember, Shang'an Lung was written in the 2nd century. So this was 1,200 years later in the 14th century that the Wenbing theory was very first started. And it, it actually has developed um, strongly over the next several centuries. So it isn't really complete for several more centuries still. But it was first proposed with the thought that warm diseases were not caused by cold invasion but could be caused by direct invasion of a warm pathogen. So basically, the, the idea here is that uh, for, for most of the history of Chinese medicine, they thought cold was the pathogenic force that caused a lot of, of internal damage. And then when you read some of this, one of the authors actually says, well, the nature of disease has changed. It's been a long time since we had you know, since, since the Shang Han Lung was written, and the nature of disease is different now, over a thousand years later, than it was back then, and now we actually see more warm diseases coming into play rather than cold diseases. So what's interesting about Chinese medicine also is that theories don't replace other theories, and they don't, you know, negate other theories. In other words, Shang Han Lung is very much an active approach to Chinese medicine today. Um, even though it's, it's almost 2,000 years old, of course it's been modified and expanded upon and all that, but it's still very, very important. In fact, when I, I went to my, one of my mentors and I said, how do I step up my game? He, his, his first and only response was, you've got to know the Shang Han Lung. 
Um, and, and this was, you know, last year that I asked them for that. So this is really recent. So shotgun lung very much in, in place. So Wemping doesn't replace the shotgun lung, but it expands and makes is a different theory and a different way to deal with disease in, in modern times. So it's very interesting. And that's very common in Chinese uh, thought that uh, old theories don't go away. They just, you know, they, they wax and wane in their importance. And it's not like a new theory is designed to destroy an old theory. So for example, one of those is there is the purgative. There's, there's a whole approach to purgatives and how most diseases need to have some purging in order to, to be effective. And that was written uh, you know, over a thousand years ago and is still in play, but not incredibly popular, uh, and, but still used on occasion. And, and the formula is still, some of the formulas are used on, um, for particular cases. So it's not gone away. It's just Sorry, not as popular said. as it was. Sorry, that was my, my watch that said that, okay. So it is a, so the Wembing is a set of theories developed by several doctor. Oh, I already said that. Okay, we're done with this one. Okay, thank you. There were more, uh, the, the Wembing theory was more fully developed during the Qing dynasty, which lasted from 1644 to 1911. So even though it started in the 14th century, there was, uh, it, it still spent a lot of, uh, several centuries before it was fully developed. And it wasn't probably fully developed until the, the 17th, 18th uh, century. And even in, the, you know, as we get into the later Qing dynasty, probably not a lot was added to it, but some was. And, and so it's, it's still, and even today, it's being applied to modern diseases that are new. So it's still being developed at this point. So, as we mentioned, instead of the six stages of the Shanghan Lung, when Bing Theory discusses the four levels. These levels are from external to internal and are based on physiological aspects of the body. And these include the protective or Wei level, the Qi level, the nutritive or Ying level, and the blood or Shui level. The protective level is considered external, while the other three levels are internal. So as opposed to cold diseases, warm diseases generally have fever at an early stage. Generally, fever appears later in cold diseases as the body, as the body starts to mount a defense. It's sort of a defense to cold, but because it's cold, it doesn't trigger a fever response until later in the disease process. There are three other key clinical features to warm diseases. One, symptoms appear very quickly. So <coughs> one of the, the books said, uh, that uh, that at symptoms appear very quickly. So like the Shangalan cold will take hours to develop, while uh, when being a uh, heat can take minutes to develop. So very quickly. If you've ever had one of those things where you, you went to sleep and you felt really good and you woke up and had a really bad sore throat, that would be in line with the warm sort of uh, disease attack. Number two, heat signs and symptoms predominate. Makes sense. If it's a heat pathogen coming in, then we would expect a lot of heat symptoms. And three, the heat can injure fluids and yin. And this becomes one of the biggest issues. As it goes deeper, we see more and more damage occurring to these fluids and yin. And that's the, the main thing that makes these pathogens really detrimental, especially as it goes internal into the, into the person. So um, we're not going to get into 
huge discussion of what yin is or isn't. But you know, one of the ways that we can look at it in the, in the, in the body is it is our fluids, it is our cooling system, it is our, our, our substance, uh, those sort of things. At, at some point, I'm gonna have one of these uh, things talk about yin, yang, and, and qi and get into a lot of depth on those concepts. But we're not quite there yet. But So yin is, is a lot of different aspects of the body, but it's incredibly important. In fact, there the four substances, um, which are the key substances to the body, we've, we've now talked about almost all of them, yin and yang, um, which is one we haven't quite talked about, but qi and blood, those are the four substances they need to be conserved and they're incredibly vital for life. So the warm uh, diseases as well have a, have a tendency to be contagious, seasonal, so they, they are worse in certain seasons and, and generally um, they say spring is probably one of the worst because that's when wind is at its, at its most and so uh, the wind will carry the heat into the body. So seasonal, I would say spring and, wind and summer is the heat aspect of it. They're endemic. In other words, they are very prevalent in locations and they're epidemic. So endemic means it's more common in a particular area. For example, warm human places have a tendency to damp heat conditions. So that would be an endemic sort of uh, condition. And epidemic means it affects many people in the same area in a relatively short time. And of course, right now, as we are still in the, in the uh, COVID epidemic, I think we're all very, uh, actually it's not an epidemic, it's a pandemic, which means it's everywhere uh, as opposed to epidemic, but we are very aware of these sort of situations at this point. And I do think uh, if you were to look at COVID-19 from a Chinese medical point of view, this would be the lens that you would be looking at it through, which would be the Wen Bing theory, more so than, than many other sort of lenses that, that are possible to look at it through. Warm diseases have an acute onset and have remarkable heat symptoms at the beginning. So that's that fast, acute onset. It doesn't take a while. It's not chronic. And there's remarkable heat symptoms. Heat symptoms include high fever, thirst, irritability, restlessness, dark urine, red tongue, and a rapid pulse. So uh, we haven't really talked about pulses much in these things, but a rapid pulse would be, uh, uh, you, know, you know, from a, a Western point of view, that's over 100 beats per minute. In Chinese medicine, we don't put quite a number on it. It's more like it feels rapid and more rapid than it should be. Um, and, uh, but 100 beats per minute isn't a bad one, for a bad definition for a rapid pulse. Heat injures the yin and fluids and can become internal and attack organs with various manifestations. So depending on the organs and how it attacks them, there could be lots of other symptoms. So this is just broad symptoms right now. They can become a lot more specific as we go into them. So let's talk about qi for example. Before we get into the four levels, let's quickly discuss qi because qi is sort of a key concept in Chinese medicine. It's very difficult. We're gonna be talking about three different types of qi here. So if we don't have some basic idea of what qi is, we're gonna have some trouble talking about the four levels because three of those four levels involve qi in some way. So qi is a key concept in Chinese medicine. And, and I think qi is very misunderstood in most people's thoughts. One of my biggest bugaboos is qi is not, 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 not energy. It is not. And that's often how it's translated, the energy of the body, and it's the energy flow, and it's this, and it's that. No, 
Absolutely 100% no. It is energetic, yes. It is very energetic, but it is not energy. So I think a better metaphor for chi is steam. And again, I'm going to do a, a thing at some point and really get into chi and focus on chi and look at the character because I think that tells you a lot about what chi is. But a better metaphor for chi is steam. Steam is warm. It's moving. It's light. It's energetic. There's that energetic word. Um, with some, but not much, physicality. So it does have matter. Chi it does have matter in Chinese medical thinking. It's just not a lot of qi, but it's a lot of force. Steam can produce work, which is how qi works in the body. So think of steam, you know, before we had, uh, you know, gasoline engines, we had lo steam locomotives. So steam can, is very energetic and forceful and moving and can get a lot accomplished, but it doesn't have a ton of physicality to it. So that is a much better I think metaphor for chi. And, and when I teach this to my students, I would always, and I had the first class in the program, so I would teach it, you know, it was the very first time they would really start talking about chi. And I would say, look, I'm gonna spend the next hour talking to you about what chi is and what it isn't, and then you're gonna spend the rest of your life understanding it. It's not a concept that you can, you can just get in a five-minute conversation. It's, it, you start to see different manifestations and different ways it's used. One of the ways I like to use chi, which is a very interesting and probably just disrupt everything I just said, is I think there's an exchange of chi whenever there is a social uh, uh, meeting of some sort. And so looking at that chi that's flowing between two or more people is really fascinating. You start to see where some of the manifestations of disease are if you kind of think about social interactions as an exchange of chi. And some people will hog the chi and some people will, will um, overwhelm it. And there's, it's just a very interesting way to kind of look at conversations. But that's one way. And, and the other thing is, you know, in chi in Chinese medicine, in Chinese thought, in Chinese um, language, it's actually atmosphere it's 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 used you every every word for weather a different types of weather has the word chi in it it's a compound word or I, I don't know about everyone but most of them and so um it is very pervasive in everything and it should be thought of in that in that context so anyways i as usual uh, i probably made it more confusing than uh less confusing but that's normal when talking about chi all right let's move on there are different kinds of chi based on where it is located, what it does, how it affects humans and the environment. And not all chi is good. We're going to talk about some, some not good chi coming up in just a little bit in our discussion. So remember, chi, um, one of the ways I was described, chi is a combination of yin and yang. And so with yin and yang, we have good and bad, we have light and dark, we have these, this duality. So chi has that duality as well. In our discussion today, we need to discuss several types of chi. So first up, we're going to talk about wei or protective chi. This chi circulates in the outer aspects of our body and has a relationship with our lungs. It warms and nourishes the skin and muscles, controls the opening and closing of the skin pores, and guards the body from external pathogens. So I think of the wei chi as little soldiers sitting on our, on our skin, ready to fight off any invaders. That's... That's one way that I, I look at it. Of course, it's not the only thing. It warms and nourishes the skin's, skin and muscles. So it's very important, that sort of thing. Wei is, but Wei is, um, some people say 
you know, it's in between the, you know, the out, outer layers of the skin and our muscle layers, so that it lives in there. Um, I've actually heard uh, some, some Chinese people say that, uh, Chinese authors, I shouldn't say Chinese people, uh, Chinese authors say that it's right on the surface and um, some liken it to the aura uh, that some people can see. I'm not sure I'm, I'm into that, um, but that it, 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 some people say it extends outwards from our skin and actually can actually protect things, protect us from things before it actually gets on our skin. I think that's getting a little esoteric, but it's it for some people I think that resonates, and so I want to mention it. Another type of chi that we're going to talk about today is nutritive chi, and nutritive chi nourishes the body, so it's both so it's important in that case. So. Both protective and nutritive chi are derived from food. So we get our, our uh, both of these, the nutritive and the wei chi, from our food. So if we don't eat well, we do not have good nutritive or wei chi, and so we're weaker. Um, and if we can't digest well, same, same sort of consequences. So nutritive chi circulates in the vessels, the meridians of Chinese medicine, uh, and nourishes the organs. So this is the, the chi that actually kind of supplements and, and nourishes and makes sure the organs are healthy. And it is a precursor to and circulates with the blood. So that's important as well. There's, it's, you know, there's a saying in Chinese medicine uh, where qi goes, bl uh, blood follows, or sometimes it's the other way around, where blood goes, qi follows. Um, but qi is, is usually considered sort of the motive and nutritive force of the blood. They, they go hand in hand. You can't, if you're blood deficient, you have to supplement chi as well as blood um, sort of thing in a lot of our formulas, so very important. There are some other kinds of chi which we'll mention in just a few. We now have enough background to discuss the four levels. So let's get into the four levels real quick here. So the first level that we're talking about is called the wei fen, which is protective level, the protective level. So this is the protective chi level. Uh, the lung governs the movement and distribution of protective chi, especially along the surface of the body, nose, and throat. So that's important, the nose and throat, because where do we actually usually get a bad cold from? It's usually from our nose and throat. That's where we, we have invade. So when the body encounters a warm pathogen, there's a struggle between it and the protective chi. So the protective chi goes, nope, you're not invading here. Let's send protective chi to the area. Let's let's deal with this. And, and that's when you start to get some of the symptoms coming on. Remember, a lot of our symptoms in disease is the body's way to protect itself. And that's what's happening here at the, at the protective level, the wave fund. This causes stagnation and failure of the lung to disperse the protective chi to the surface, nose, and throat. So because of this struggle, because of this battle, it's, it, we're not able to circulate the protective chi as well as we should. And then when that happens, we start to get lots of signs and symptoms of this battle going on. And these include fever, chills, and slight, slight aversion to cold, slight or absent perspiration, sneezing, nasal congestion, sinus drainage, sore throat, cough, headache, slightly increased thirst, so not abundant, but a little bit extra thirst, and a red-tipped tongue. So if you look at the tongue, the very tip of it is red. The, the normal tongue is pink, so you usually can kind of tell when something's much redder than that, and it's at the tip of it, and has a thin white coat. 
So uh, it, we talk a lot in Chinese medicine about the coat of the tongue. And uh, a lot of us rightfully will, will brush our, our coat off. So you have to be a little bit careful with that. But if you look, you don't brush your teeth, your tongue, you still brush your teeth, but don't brush your tongue for a couple of days, you'll see there's a little coat on the tongue. And that's what we're referring to here. So of those signs and symptoms, there are three that are particularly uh, indicative of the protective level. The first one is a fever. So without a fever, it's really hard to say that we're at protective level. It's important to have a fever. That slight aversion to cold is there too. Uh, and chills, you know, it's like the reason why you get chills in a slight aversion of cold is because it's still on the exterior and and your your body's kind of feeling it that way. When it goes inside, we don't have that slight aversion of cold anymore. So that's important for the whey level. And then finally, that slightly increased thirst. Other levels that we're going to be talking about are much more than that slightly increased thirst. You do have to have some increased thirst, but not much. And those three things together are particularly indicative of the protective level. So after the protective level, if the warm pathogen continues to penetrate, we hit the qi fun or the qi level. As the warm heat pathogen starts to penetrate deeper into the body, starts to affect the function and circulation of qi. So this is our general circulation of qi. And now that's starting to have a problem. It starts to stagnate. And when, in Chinese medicine, when anything stagnates and stops, it generates heat. And so, uh, because it sits there and kind of builds on itself, so it gets some heat going. Organs are now affected at the qi level, and the first of these affected are the lungs, which makes sense because that's our first organ of protection from the outside. So the lungs are often, when we have an external attack, the first organs to be affected. The spleen is also affected uh, uh, as, the, as the warm heat pathogen goes in. And then all of the yang organs can be affected as well. So in Chinese medicine, we have yin organs, we have yang organs, and uh, the yang organs can be affected. The yang organs, we call, uh, we, we, we say they're hollow organs, and those include the small and large intestines, the gallbladder, the stomach, the urinary bladder, and, and a unique organ that we have in Chinese medicine called the triple burner. Again, that'll be something I get into at some point, uh, but we are gonna mention the triple burner again before we, we finish this, this episode. Keep that in mind. So common signs and symptoms of the, the qi level or the qi fun include vigorous fever. So instead of now fever, now it's big fever. Aversion to heat. So instead of that slight aversion to cold, now we have full-on aversion to heat. We don't want heat. Profuse perspiration. So instead of a little bit of perspiration, now we have just drenching perspiration. And thirst, not, not slightly increased thirst, now thirst, big thirst, with a preference for cold beverage, beverages, a yellow and dry tongue coating. So it may still be red, uh, especially at the tip, but that coating that we're talking about is now yellow and dry rather than wet. And it's no longer thin, it's sort of a normal, and it's not white anymore. And a flooding or slippery pulse. So again, Getting into pulses is, is really important in Chinese medicine. It's how we, we diagnose things, but um, we're not gonna get in. There's 28 different pulse qualities, and it, it is one of those things, again, I say to my, my students is uh, when I teach this, is like, all right, I'm teaching uh, you the pulses. You're gonna spend the rest of your career really mastering them. So it takes a long time to master them, but flooding or slippery pulse uh, is, is the pulse that we look for here. And, and of those, the, the big signs that are specific for um, qi fun, when you have these, you're, you're pretty much, you know you're at the qi level, is that aversion to heat, that thirst, 
and the yellow and dry tongue coating. Those three things together are really indicative of this chi level. And then the other thing about chi level is it, it can be broken down and have organ-specific manifestations. So when it affects a specific organ, it has a whole other set of symptoms on top of these symptoms as well. Again, that's a little bit too much for us to get into here, but um, we do need to remember that that happens too, that this is when we start to see organs being affected by the worm pathogen. It has penetrated and is now affecting our organs. So the next level is the ying fun, the nutritive level, ying fun. A level deeper than the qi level is the nutritive level, which indicates a deeper penetration of the pathogen. And now we are starting to cause injury to the yin and disturbance of the heart. So remember, the qi the level is the lung and spleen. Now we're damaging the heart. We're getting the heart. Uh, and in Chinese medicine, the heart is very important, just like it is in Western medicine. It's considered the emperor organ, and all the other organs kind of help support it. So, so signs and symptoms of the nutritive level include fever that worsens at night, a thin, rapid pulse, uh, thin is, is an indication of the width. Like when you feel it, it feels thinner than, than a normal pulse does. Insomnia, irritability, restlessness, occasional delirium or muddled consciousness, a deep red tongue. So now it's not the coat, it's the actual tongue. It's now all red, it's deep red. And then there's thirst with little desire to drink, which is interesting. So we had full-on thirst with the chi level. Here we have thirst with little desire to drink. And, and the reason for that is because we can't really handle the excess, the, all the fluids coming in. We need the fluids, but we don't, our bodies are, our organs are starting not to process it as well. And then maculopapular rashes is another one. So maculopapular rashes is a combination of two words, macular, which is, is indicative of a, a coloration, a discoloration in a, in a rash, and papular, which means that it's slightly raised. So what these, a macular pap, maculopapular rash is a slightly raised, discolored uh, rash is really what we're talking about. And generally with macules and papules, they're both under one centimeter, so under a little less than a half an inch. Uh, so they're small little things. Uh, and in this case, with this nutritive level, we would expect it to be sort of blood colored, you know, a little bit on the red or pink side would be the discolorations, though macula doesn't necessarily mean a specific color. So those are the signs and symptoms that we're looking at with the nutritive level. The, the signs that are particularly indicative of the nutritive level are fever that worsens at night. So uh, we call that a tidal fever, and that's important. Uh, that indicates that it's the yin is being affected, and that's the problem here with the nutritive level. It's gone much deeper and is much more serious than the chi level. Uh, so that's that irritability and it is in, in restlessness. These two are important, and they're indications of the heat that's happening and uh, muddled consciousness. That occasional delirium of muddled consciousness. Things are just a little off, and you can't concentrate. That's not a good sign, and that is a, a cardinal sign here. And of course, the deep red tongue is another fantastic clue that we were, we were at the nutritive level. So do you need all those things that we've been talking about as, as indicative? No, because this is you know what I like to call book learning. Uh, it's, you know, it's rare that you see a patient that's by the book. Um, so, but if some of those, uh, and, and no other major, you know, other signs, uh, will indicate that you're at this nutritive level, you know, just the deep red tongue alone would put you at this nutritive level in the four levels.
All right, and that brings us to our final level, the Shui Fun, uh, the blood level. This level is when the pathogen is penetrated deeply and disturbs and exhausts the blood and is considered a critical condition. This is a life-threatening condition. So this is one of the, the problems with as, as an acupuncturist in, in the United States and in, in um, a lot of the areas of the world. We won't see this. They're in the hospital. We're not treating these, these conditions. So we don't see them. Um, but if we do see them, we gotta get we gotta do something with them really badly. So extreme heat can cause the blood to exit the vessels and cause blood stasis. That's what's happening here, and it basically means it, it's bad. And and um, you know I I always think of the disease I think of when I think of these are the hemorrhagic diseases. There's a bunch of them, but of course the one that I've kind of studied a little bit more than the others is Ebola, where at the very end stages, the person is, is uh, you know, bleeding out of every orifice and skin's cracked and they're flailing around trying to get the blood everywhere so it can, it can actually uh, make someone else sick. And that's what I think of as the extreme blood level and then they die. Um, so it's, it's, we're talking extreme here with this blood level. So signs and symptoms include fever, restlessness, delirium, muddled consciousness, or coma, very deep red tongue. So it's not just deep red, it's now very deep red tongue. Loss of blood, which includes vomiting blood, nosebleeds, bloody urine, and blood in the stools. And those macular papular rashes are over the entire body. So basically, the blood isn't staying in the vessels. It's going everywhere it shouldn't. That's the idea, and that's why it's called the blood level because the blood is so affected by this. Uh, the, the key signs here are that very deep red tongue, the loss of blood, however it manifests, and that those maculopapular rashes all over the body. Those three things are, are critical for the, for the blood level to diagnose the blood level. All right, so I think we're, we're good with that. Let's step back into the Wen Bing theory a little bit. Those are the four levels, the Wei, the Qi, the Ying, and the Shui. So there are three other very interesting concepts that stem from Wen Bing theory. The first is of Li Qi or pestilential epidemic Qi. This is a pathogenic factor that is infectious, occurs suddenly and progresses quickly. Uh, and that is a type of that bad chi that I was talking about. And that is absolutely what we would kind of uh, make, we would say COVID is. It's this pestilential or epidemic. I, I say pestilential slash epidemic. It's the same word, just different translations of the same word into English. So epidemic chi is the word that I often see, but I think now we're kind of selling on pestilential as the more appropriate translation for Chinese medicine practitioners. So yeah, COVID is right in there. Another interesting concept is that of lurking or hidden pathogenic qi. This is a concept widely used to treat various interesting modern diseases such as Lyme disease or autoimmune diseases with Chinese medicine. So this hidden pathogenic qi, uh, this idea of it stems from the Wenbing theory and it was developed in the context of the Wenbing theory. So that's a good one. And the third concept is the concept of Sanjiao or triple burner pattern of diseases. So we've talked about four levels, a whole nother way to look at, at 
diseases is through the triple burner Sanjiao pattern of diseases, patterns of diseases. I'm not getting into that at this point. We'll do that on a future episode. But those are three really interesting concepts that come out of Wenbing theory and make it very relevant to modern day Chinese medicine as we practice it. So, all right. So that was a quick, or maybe not so quick, overview of Wenbing theory. Of course, there's a lot more to explore and a lot more depth to get into. The herbs we are about to discuss can be useful for treating the first of the four levels, the Weifun or protective level. That's all we're talking about is that first level when it's still pretty much out on the surface and we're in battle with it. And with that and no further ado, let's get into our herbs for this episode, herbs that cool and release the exterior. The herbs in this category are primarily used to treat wind heat. We talked a bit about wind in that seventh episode. It is one of the six climactic factors and is usually combined with another factor such as cold, damp, heat, or dryness when it, it quote-unquote, attacks from the outside. In our category of herbs today, we're going to be discussing wind heat, which often occurs, often causes severe fever with mild chills and sore throat. Many of the herbs in this category are also used to vent rashes, which is interesting because we think of rashes often as being from heat and or treat eye problems due to wind heat. So um, interesting, venting rashes and eye problems are also a lot of these herbs are treated. Generally, I use three good source textbooks when discussing individual herbs. This is great because they don't always agree, and it's in those disagreements that we learn and expand our knowledge. So I really love that. I love it when I, I find a conflict. Um, and given this, they don't even agree on the name of the category of this herbs. So um, Bensky et al. from 2004 calls it cool, acrid herbs that release the exterior. So that's, that's what they call it. Chen and Chen calls it wind heat releasing herbs. So it doesn't even mention the exterior at all, and it doesn't mention uh, spicy or cool. And then Brandon Wiseman call it cool, acrid, exterior resolving medicinal. So that's, that's very similar to Bensky, but it's exterior resolving rather than releasing the exterior. So a slightly different context to that. So close, they're similar, but not exactly the same. Uh, they are similar, the category names are similar, though I think they emphasize slightly different aspects of what the herbs do. And these herbs do have a lot of similarities with each other. They're all cool in nature, which of course counteracts the warm nature of the pathogen, hence why we want that coolness. They are acrid, spicy, pungent, and these are all synonyms in Chinese medicine, acrid, spicy, pungent. Uh, so sometimes you'll see the word acrid, sometimes you'll see spicy, sometimes you'll see pungent, all the same. But what these acrid, spicy, pungent herbs do is they scatter and expel or release uh, or push out pathogenic factors. It's, it, the, 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 the force of it is scattering and it scatters from the inside to the outside. That's the idea of what spicy foods do. And if, if you doubt this at all, um, how about after this episode, after you finish listening to this episode, go get... Uh, something super hot, I don't know what it is, Mexican food or uh, uh, hot chicken, you know, spicy chicken, you know, uh, whatever it is, get something really hot and just really hot. And what do you do? You sweat. You, your, your pores open up and, and go out. That's what spice does, basically. Universally, 
These herbs disperse wind heat to treat externally contracted cold. That's the whole purpose of what these herbs do. So let's get into the individual herbs in this category. We're going to just briefly mention them and, and, and then we'll compare them a little bit as we go along. So the first herb in this category in all the books is boha, which is menthe haplocalisis herba, haplocalisis herba. Uh, that's mint, field mint. Uh, I love boha. It's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite herbs because I like mint. So, uh, and you can grow this in your backyard. In fact, that's the picture that was at the beginning of this of this uh, uh, this uh, webinar was the picture and picture on the on the on the uh, on all the things is is mint. So what mint does is it clears and benefits the head, eyes, and throats. It's really good for the throat. Vents rashes and courses the liver and moves chi. It's this last one. The courses the liver moves chi makes it a very commonly used herb for a number of reasons, but often because it has that liver sort of action to it. So it's really good. So for me, when I have a patient call up and they don't have herbs, I have herbs that are really good for colds. Um, and I often will recommend them. Uh, uh, my patients have them in their house, but often they'll call me up like on a Friday night where I'm not going to be able to see them for a few days and they're coming down with a cold. And then what I will often recommend that they do is drink peppermint tea and with ginger. Um, ginger if, is in that other category of herbs that we talked about when, when uh, it's, it's good for wind cold and boha is good for wind heat attacks. So between the two of them, I don't know what's going on. It could be either or uh, generally, and I think a nice cup of tea with some, some uh, slices of fresh ginger and some peppermint is really good to kind of help uh, you feel better when you're starting to get a cold. So that's my, my first advice is to do that. So love boha, especially if the throat is involved aces. So, you know, bongza, arctii fructus also benefits the throat, resolves toxicity and vents rashes and moistens the intestines. So, um, zi, uh, nyo bongza, zang, zi means seed, even though this is arctii fructus, which means the fruit, it actually is a seed, a little bit of a seed. And all seeds in Chinese medicine actually help to moisten the intestine. So because of the oils and the seeds and what have you. So that's where that comes in. It's not necessarily one of the first herbs we'd think about uh, for moistening the intestines, but it's definitely there. This next herb is a cool herb. Um, chan Tui, uh, Cicada periostricum. This is an interesting herb as it is the moltings of the cicada bug. And uh, I, as I'm, I'm writing this, we're, we're having one of the... Uh, broods uh, coming out. I think it's brood 17 or 12. I can never remember, but the 17-year cycle is out right now in the in the south, not where I'm at. So um, this is the periostricum. This is the moltings of it. It vents rashes, clears the eyes, and stops spasms. It's a very interesting herb and, and useful. And it's not really an herb. It's an animal sort of product. Sangya, uh, morifolium. Calms the liver, clears the eyes, clears the lungs and moistens dryness, cools the blood and stops bleeding for mild cases of vomiting of blood. So that's Sangya Moria um, Folium. That's a good herb. Ju Hua, uh, Chrysanthemum Floss. This is Chrysanthemum Flyer. So uh, if, if you've, you can get this and it's a good thing to do. It calms the liver, clears the eyes, Extinguishes wind in cases of dizziness, headaches, and deafness. 
uh, with liver yang rising and clears heat and resolves toxicity. This is a very commonly used herb, especially when there's an external attack of wind heat. And not only that, when I was, in, when I was traveling in China, I saw this everywhere. Every older person had a cup of tea with chrysanthemum flowers in it. And that was to, and I asked, you know, I knew what they did, but I, I asked my tour guide, I was like, why is everyone drinking those? And they all say, because it helps the eyes. That's what my tour, tour guides would say. So um, very, very useful for cleaning the eyes, very strongly helps the eyes, benefits the eyes, and something that uh, you can certainly drink as a tea, uh, and, and they do all day long to help with that. Our next herb is, next herb is Mang Jingzi, our Viticus Fructus, and this clears and benefits the head and eyes, relieves pain by draining dampness and expelling Moving on, we have Dan Chi, which is Soje Semen Preparatum. This is uh, soybeans, prepared soybeans. That's what this is. And uh, eliminates irritability and vexation. So um, prepared soybeans, um, they're usually fermented a little bit uh, in, this, in this context. So that's Dan Chi. And then right after this, we we're talking about Dan Juan, which is Soje Semen germinatum so the germinatum is these are sprouts so these are soybean sprouts and these clear summer heat and down heat now neither of these soybean ones are super strong for this category um, there's you know another thing that often i i will I, I might mention to people is to have miso soup when they first starting to get a thing and that's because it has a lot of soybean products in it and uh, miso is sort of a prepared uh, soybean product and it also has um, green onions which is also useful for a wind attack it's more for a wind cold attack so that's another uh, little thing um, for people but it's not very strong it only works at the very beginning of a cold so both of these are not uh, big and the, the other thing that's interesting about these two herbs is dandochi was definitely in all the books um, dando juan was in one book as a separate herb another book as a subheading under the dandochi and the other book didn't even talk about it. So um, not a very commonly used in this context sort of uh, uh, herb, the Dan Do Juan. But I like it as a food source in this context. I think it's not a bad thing to think about. So our next herb is Fu Ping, uh, Sparadele Herba. Uh, vents rashes, stops itching, promotes urination, and reduces swelling, especially of edema. Um, that's not one that I've, I use frequently. It's definitely of this category. We have Muze, Muze, uh, Equiseti Hymalis Herba. This clears the eyes, clears heat, and stops bleeding. And this is one I've used on occasion, but not frequently. Uh, next up is very widely used, a couple very widely used herbs in this context. So, again. Uh, uh, Puraria radix. This is very widely used. Releases the muscles, generates fluids, vents and discharges measles, raises yang, and stops diarrhea, and treats symptoms of hypertension. So this is particularly useful when you have a headache during a cold. And I, when I say a cold, I mean that um, it's, this is a wind heat, uh, treats wind heat. So it can be a wind heat, but it also sometimes can be used with other herbs in a wind cold situation. But you have that headache excuse me, a headache from that, from having a, a, a wind attack 
and this releases the muscle, especially of the of the back of the neck. So really useful for that, and the shoulders and all that. So really useful or often used for um, in this category as a wind heat, but also in other for other formulas that help relax the muscles a little bit. Finally, ranks right up there probably in the top ten herbs used is chai hu which is Bupleri radix, very commonly used herb. It's probably the most commonly used herb in this category of wind heat herbs as it has lots of useful applications outside of cooling and releasing. It is one of our um, major herbs for others. So it resolves lesser yang disorders. So lesser yang disorder is one of those six uh, stages that we've been we kind of referred to, and we're not going to get into any more of that. So lesser yang is one of those six stages. Reduces fever. Here's the reason why it's used uh, a lot of other reasons. It spreads liver chi resolves depression of liver chi. Uh, those are really important. We have a lot in, in modern society, we have a lot of liver chi stagnation, depression. And so this is a very useful herb and is a lot of herbal formulas because of that action. It also raises and lifts yang chi and chen and chen state it harmonizes the exterior and the interior. So it kind of balances them out to a certain extent. So that's a really interesting function of this herb. Uh, fantastic herb, uh, you know, we actually don't talk about it, but there is one downside to it. There's something called the chai hu headache. Um, some people are, are particularly, I say one out of 10, are particularly sensitive to chai hu and they get a headache when they take it. Um, so always kind of keep that in mind with that herb. Uh, Sheng Ma, uh, Simisifugo rhizoma, is another uh, relatively commonly used herb in this, in this category. It vents measles, clears heat, and resolves toxicity, raises the yang, and lifts what has sunken, so for prolapses and things along those lines. And now we have a few herbs that were not in Bensky and Bensky, but were in Chen and Chen. So we have Yijir, Xiang, Bronier, Sinere, Sinere, there we go, Herba, clears lung heat, sedates liver fire. The Vutian, Viticus, Quinate, Redix, et folium. Redix means root, et means end, and folium means, uh, means uh, flower. So this is root and flower. Actually, folium is, is uh, leaf. Uh, floss is flower, so folium, root and leaf. Clears lung heat, cools blood, and arrests cough. We have Shuang, Liu Huang, Baronier patchule herba clears heat stops diarrhea, and Mao Zidon To abutilon in indicum herba separates turbidity, opens orifices, invigorates blood, reduces swellings and abscesses, and strengthens the spleen and promotes digestion. So that is very interesting. Those four herbs are not herbs I'm, I'm particularly familiar with because when I was going through school, this book wasn't even available. Uh, so we went more with the Bensky's uh, book, uh, an older version of it. Um, so I'm not super familiar with these herbs, but they have some interesting functions, I'll tell you that. All right. So that's kind of a quick overview of all the individual herbs in this category. Let's compare them. Let's see why we would use one over another. So we'll talk about that. So uh, there are a bunch of herbs here that will induce sweat, and they do it in this order, so uh, in descending order. So mentha, uh, the mentha haplocalesis, herba, the boha, the mint, uh, is um, really good at inducing sweat. Arctii fructus, nibongza, is, uh, is another one. And um, 
we have RTI fructus, oh, we just said cicada, periostracum, chantui, moria folum sanguea, and chrysanthemum floss juhua. So those are in descending orders of inducing sweat. So boha, nubangza, uh, chantui, sanguea, and then juhua. Sanguea is cooler than juhua and more strongly disperses wind heat. And it's that dispersal that causes, that can cause perspiration. We do, you know, we said, um, one of the symptoms of wind heat is perspiration, but one of the ways we get rid of an external attack of wind is through opening up the, the pores and perspiring that, uh, and we talk about often in transmedicine having a productive sweat versus a non-productive sweat. So like the, the wind heat pathogen coming in is, and causing perspiration is non-productive, but us opening up the things and pushing things out, that's a productive sweat. So that's what these herbs are doing. Both chrysanthemum floss juhua and equiseti hamelas herba mudze are used to clear the vision. Uh, I mentioned juhua definitely. Juhua nourishes the eyes but does not eliminate supervisual, superficial visual obstructions, while mudze removes membranes from the conjunctiva. So that's interesting. I'm not sure what a membrane of the conjunctiva is, but if there's something physically kind of obstructing, then I would go more for the mudze. Um, generally, juhua is very commonly used and, and useful for the, for helping vision in general, as I mentioned. Next up, we have soja semen preparatum. That's the, the prepared soybeans. Mildly vents and disperses exterior pathogens. And that's, that's what I said. It's mild. It's not a super strong one. Soje semen germinatum, uh, dando juan, this is the, uh, is similar. This is the sprouts, the soybean sprouts, but it affects our focused on summertime warm pathogen disease and damp heat disorders. There's a whole category of, of um, diseases that are called summer heat patterns. And I, I noticed that as newer books came out, those become became less emphasized than when I was going through school. And that's where this is particularly useful is in those kind of diseases, those kind of attacks. All right, moving on. Um, Peraria radix gugen, bupleri radix chai hu, and simisifuge rhizoma shangma release the exterior and raise the yang chi. So they have a rising component to it. Uh, chai Hu is most effective at reducing fever. Again, disperses heat at the muscle layer, as we mentioned earlier. Shengma is less effective at dispersing heat, but is good for raising yang and relieving heat toxicity. So we're, we haven't really talked about how, uh, heat toxicity or toxins in, in, in this context, and that's way more than we're going to be able to get into in the next six minutes or so. Um, but uh, that Shengma is a good, good herb for that. Gogen and Shengma are used together to promote the expression of rashes. Shengma and Chai Hu can be combined with other herbs to raise the Yang Qi. Juhua is stronger in clearing heat from the liver than a lot of these other herbs. And Yobangza is used in cases where wind heat has begun turning into lung heat with yellow sputum. So Yobangza, the way I, I think of it in this context, is as it's starting to move from that protective level and start to go into the Qi level, you want to make sure Nubangza is there because that's when it will really help uh, prevent it from going into the lung. That's Nubangza. All right, so uh, those are our comparisons. Let's get into some biomedical actions of these herbs. And these are general and not specific. Some do these, some don't, all that sort of stuff. But 
There's lots of interesting effects of the herbs in these categories, which include dermatologic. It helps the skin. Obviously, we talked a lot about venting rashes. Diaphoresis, induction of perspiration. We talked a lot about that. Antiparesis, reduction of body temperature. So this is for fevers, anti-fevers. They're anti-inflammatory. Some of them are anti-inflammatory. They reduce inflammation. Some are antibiotic. They may have some antibacterial and antiviral functions. That's really useful. And there is a lot of studies to show that these herbs have those functions. And part of the reason why it's probably very useful for colds. They can be metabolic. Some may decrease blood glucose levels or you actually increase basal metabolic rates. They are a central nervous system suppressant, so they can kind of sedate. That's that helping with the restlessness and the irritability. So it kind of suppresses, suppresses the central nervous system. They can be vasodilative. They open up the blood levels and increase blood flow. Uh, they can be sedative and are antispasmodic. Some herbs in this category can reduce activities such as restlessness and spasms. Anti, some are antihypertensive. Some can help high blood pressure. Some of them actually can hurt high blood pressure as that raising of yang can actually uh, uh, make certain types of blood pressure worse. So you do have to be careful with that. Look up individual herbs. They can be, some of them are diuretic and may cause urination. Some have shown some antiplatelet activities, which prevents platelet clumping and reduces clotting. Some are analgesic, may reduce pain. And some are immunostimulant, can help the immune system. So these are all sort of biomedical actions of these herbs. There are a couple drug-herb interactions. There's actually um, quite a few drug-herb interactions that I have in my, my database of drug-herb interactions. Um, most of them, though, were level D, and I don't, I don't talk the, say them here because that means they were either in animal studies, bench research, which means no humans were involved at all, or just an expert opinion. So level D, to me, does not mean there's any clinical evidence that it, there's an interaction. It has to go a bit above level D evidence. And you see we have one here that's level B evidence. So we'll talk about that. But before we get into that, um, we've seen that Mudze inhibits CYP, cytochrome P451A2, and Chagmal induces cytochrome P452B6 and 3A4. So cytochrome P450 is a, an enzyme that's in our bodies that, that are uh, actually um, part of the electron uh, transport chain and very useful for, for, um, for um, metabolizing substances, so very useful. So, uh, and there's lots of different subtypes. That's the 1A2 and the 2B6 and 3A4. Um, 1A2 is, you know, somewhat common. It's maybe 10% of, of drugs will affect 1A2. 2B6, very rarely. 3A4 is the most common one, so um, we are a little bit worried about Shengma and some 3A4 interactions. Um, and all that does is raise the risk of a drug-herb interaction, not that it will cause it or, or is definitive, but it's something to take into account. And then there was a large epidemiological study with an N of 1795. An N means number of subjects, so over almost 1,800 subjects. That's a big study. Uh, showed increased adverse effects in patients taking Chaihu. So that's the one that we're talking about here. The rest are not in this category. Chirza, Wuweza, Shu, and Sheng Diwang, Mutong, and uh, Che Qianza. These are all other Chinese herbs from other categories, but Chaiyu is the one we're worried about. Um, and they showed increased adverse effects with anti, the antipsychotics clozapine, um, quetiapine, and olanzapine. 
and there was some level B evidence. So that means it was in humans and it was relatively, uh, A is as high as it goes. So it's, it's fairly strong evidence uh, that there, there could be some interactions here. So just a little bit careful with chai hu. And chai hu is one of those herbs, it's a fantastic herb, but it needs to be used properly or there can be some adverse effects to it. All right. Some concerns with these herbs, since these herbs release the exterior through perspiration, overdosage, prolonged or inappropriate use can cause qi or yin vacuity or dryness. So you can over perspire is basically what we're talking about here. Because these herbs are cooling, caution should be used in cases of nausea and vomiting or diarrhea due to cold in the stomach or yang vacuity and or cold, cold in the stomach or yang vacuity in general and or cold or yang vacuity symptoms in general. So those, uh, you just because it's cooling and we're already worried um, about um, cooling things if there's cold. So you don't want to add cold to cold. And yang vacuity, yang remember is the warming part of the body. So if you're in deficiency vacuity of it, you tend towards the cold. So it's not good to have lots of cold substances. So we have to be cautious with that. Some herbs in this category should be used with caution in pregnant women. Um, not Again, there are a handful of them. Uh, if you're going to use them, look them up. Uh, but definitely do need to be uh, concerned about that. And that is exactly one hour. And thank you very much for hanging in there with me. Uh, just a reminder, when you buy from Amazon, please use the banner ad on our homepage at spurbsherbs.com. You can always get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com or our website, www.spurbsherbs.com. That's S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com. All right. Well, thank you very much. And finally, here we have our bibliography. And I appreciate you guys hanging in there with Spurbs Herbs. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle, Timothy, Thompson, Nick, Nick, Rogers, Campbell.